If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to continue on in Matthew. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined with them what time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed to their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise, take the young child, his mother, and his mother, flee to Egypt, and there I will bring the word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken By the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children in Bethlehem in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time he had determined from the wise men. And then was fulfilled also that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now when Herod had died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared again in a dream to Joseph and said, Arise, take the young child, his mother, to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. So he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, but was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Matthew is um, giving us quite a detailed explanation here of these guys that come to visit Jesus. He gives us the knowledge that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah the long-awaited Messiah for the Jews. But if you noticed in that narrative, you noticed how unconcerned for him the Jews were. Their intent on destroying him and the sovereignty of God in protecting him and all the events around him. You know, it's interesting. When people hear the gospel and just ignore it, 
they ultimately become mindless animals of instinct and miss out on the greatness of who he is. We're told these men were from the east. It came from east to Jerusalem. Who were these guys? Well, the Greek word for, for wise men here is magos or magos, meaning an oriental scientist or a, magi- or a, a magician, or simply someone seeking wisdom. <laughs> these men showed up in Jerusalem asking a question: Where is he who is born king of the Jews? And it, they saw his east. They saw a star in the east. Many, they saw the star where they were moving away from them. They came with it. They didn't turn around and look back at the east while they were traveling west. So they, did, they had come to worship him. Somehow they knew this was not an ordinary child. Now, when they got to Jerusalem, it was business as usual. Herod was a corrupt politician. The scribes and religious leaders were also corrupt. The people lived under the oppression of Roman rule and corrupt religion. And it says Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Meaning that hearing a message like this, that a supernatural child has been born, stirred him up. And what's interesting is that the pagan men, these pagan men from, from the east had come in, these wise men, and they understood it. And they didn't even have, as far as we know, the Jewish scriptures. All they had was a star. My form, evidently. Jerusalem and, 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 and Israel should have been looking for the Messiah in their age. Why? Well, when we were studying Daniel, if you don't mind, I mention again, Jason. <laughs> when we were studying Daniel, we talked about the 70 weeks, and it listed 70 weeks of years right up to the time of the Messiah and all the way into A.D. 70. And... What's really interesting about this is that they knew the Scriptures, and the Scriptures were very clear about the timing of the Messiah. Now, we know that we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We have been given specific instructions that that is something He's not going to tell us. But His first coming should have been known. They should have understood it. But the corruptness of the existing political views and the religious rulers caused them to be in a state of stupor, even though they knew the Scripture. And the wise men woke them up. (laughs) So Herod consults with the scribes about the Messiah, where he would be born, and they consulted Scripture, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and everlasting. So they quote it to Herod, and he relates it to the wise men. Isn't, isn't it interesting how well they knew the Scripture? They knew exactly where to find where the Messiah would be born. But it wasn't reality to them. All they had was just religion. That's all. And as a result, the validation that Jesus is the Messiah snaps them into reality. (laughs) I remember seeking the Lord when I was in a different religion. 
And all I had was religion. And I got down on my knees one night by my bed. My wife's still asleep, and I asked God to show me the truth. I said, I don't care what the truth is. I only care what the truth is. (laughs) That sounds stupid, doesn't it? But it's not double talk. And when I started reading Scripture, the witness in my heart, the witness in my spirit, that Jesus is the Lord was irrefutable. I even argued with God about it. I even tried to search the Old Testament Scriptures to prove He wasn't the Messiah. I couldn't do it. (laughs) Every time I found something in the Old Testament that validated the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And see, you're not going to come to that reality unless you're willing to let God tell you who Jesus is. Jesus said that people would hear His words and to whomever the Father revealed that He was the Son to would come to Him. Now, there isn't anybody He doesn't want to reveal it to. He loves us all, but... They knew Scripture about the Messiah, but they didn't bother to to wait for Him. Oh, there's a couple of people that did that we read in other passages about old man Simeon sitting in the temple waiting for the showing up of of Messiah. And, you know, people like that had an expectant heart. Did you come here today with an expectant heart? Or did you just come here today to do your thing? (laughs) To go to church? I came with an expectant heart. I'm not expecting anything out of you, and hopefully you're not expecting too much out of me, but I am expecting something out of the Lord today. I'm expecting His Spirit to anoint this place and fill us with His Spirit so that we can't contain ourselves and, and like these wise men. Where is He? Well, I'll show you where He is, the star says. Follow me. <laughs> you're stars, folks. You're all stars. If you have Christ, you're a star. We read that in Daniel 2. Pardon me. It says those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars. It's exciting, isn't it? Herod secretly calls these wise men in. and Oh, if you find him, come back and tell me. I want to worship the child too. Can you hear the subtlety of a serpent's tongue here? Well, how do we know that? Because we know what later what happened. But Satan was bent on destroying Christ. So they continue to follow the star. It comes to Bethlehem where the child is, which is only six miles from Jerusalem about. So, you know, they, didn't, they had traveled for two years. Another day wasn't going to be a big deal to them. The star stopped when it came to Christ. And they rejoiced. Exceedingly, they found what they were looking for, and they stopped. I have discovered many people claiming to be seeking to seeking God. They'll maybe even come to church on a, a Sunday morning and then go out and just live their lives as if Jesus didn't exist at all. Or some of them will run to a a different religion. Oh, I'm I'm going to be in this religion or that religion or, or whatever. And they, they say they're seeking for truth. But let me just tell you this. 
Keith Green wrote a book called You Can Run to the End of the Highway. And it's just simply the first two verses. I was like, you can run to the end of the highway and not find what you're looking for. But when God is leading you, and please don't look for a star. <laughs> but when God is leading you, your search stops at Jesus. Do you believe that? Your search stops at Jesus. There's no place else to look. We just sang it up here a while ago. Where can I go? Oh, Lord. Peter said that to Jesus. So they, they, they're there. They bow down before him. And they open something, boys and girls. Boys and girls, are you all listening? They open something. It says they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures. And they bowed down and worshipped him with their treasures. You know, I, I, I think we think of worship. Uh, I, I doubt if they really even cared what the worth of those treasures were themselves in light of the worth of Jesus. But if we would all have that attitude, we'd just open our treasures. We think of worship as singing, preaching, and fellowship one or the other. And oh, by the way, we've got to take up a collection. A necessary thing. But did you know that's also worship? These guys here opened their treasure. They didn't give a tenth. They didn't tithe. They opened their treasures. They dumped it on Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because he's worth it. Really? Oh, thanks. You know, if you look at any encounter with God in the Old or New Testament, there's always someone so moved by the worth of Christ, they open up their treasures to Him. Jason took us through the book, The Treasure Principle, on Wednesday nights during the summer, and I think all of our eyes were opened on the unimportance of our material possessions in light of eternal it was exciting it was exciting going through that book for me this encounter with the living christ god warmed now joseph don't stick around in bethlehem now the boy was probably about 2 years old jesus the boy about 2 years old and we know from luke that he had gone to jerusalem and been circumcised and then he went back to bethlehem yet he, weren't, he was still too little to travel, I guess. Two years old, they lived in the house. They, this did, these wise men, regardless of your nativity scenes, did not come to the, to the, uh, uh, the, the manger. Jesus was already two years old. If he was still living in a hay bale, I, I doubt God would do that, even that to him, even though he came as a pauper. But, so God warns Joseph, you better get out. Warns him in a dream, and he told him to go to Egypt because Herod was going to seek to destroy the little boy. And he says all of a sudden this prophecy was fulfilled that God would say, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now this is an interesting scripture because in Hosea chapter 1, it says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, Jews and others will argue that this reference is to Israel and not Jesus. 
But two things bring it in clarity for us. One, we believe Matthew truly is the inspired word of God. Amen? Okay. So, and two, Paul also's writings are, and he clarifies that the predictions for Israel actually were for the church. And he says this, Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed were made the promises. He does not say seeds, plural, meaning many, like Israel, but seed, one, meaning Christ. Can you imagine anybody getting any promises without belonging to Christ? The only promise you have is hell. Oh, but they're the God's chosen people. No, they're not. You are. Until they come to Christ, they're not His chosen. That's, Romans 9 deals with this completely. tells you. They don't, just because they have the name Israel doesn't mean they are from Israel. God's Israel. Now, think about what's going on. Here, we see that Jesus is God's Israel. It's Jesus that's God's Israel. We are, too, only because we're completely sealed and identified with Him. We didn't have anything else to do, but it, whether it's Jew or Gentile, the gospel is the power of God, it says, to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, I mean, it was offered to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. You should really be like those wise men if you've sought and found Jesus, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I don't know about you. Occasionally I reflect on the day that I got saved. I don't know why it was 45 years ago. But I really remember the clean feeling that I had when I realized somebody else paid my debt named Jesus. Oh, man. I was running around on cloud nine. I didn't even think about the fact that my flesh was going to rise up later and try to get me down again. And it always does, has since I've been saved. <laughs> Still just a pile of dust. But the thing is, is that every day we should be getting up and just reflect a little bit on how and what Christ has done for us. And we should be so full of joy that everybody thinks we're nuts. <laughs> okay. Now, we get to see the real character of Herod here. He sends his army to Bethlehem and the surrounding areas to kill all babies, two years old and under, based on what he had ascertained from what the, the wise men said when they had seen the star. And he calculates it and says, two years old and under. So not to take any chances... He does this awful thing. He sends his army in to kill all the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding districts, two years old and under, just to get at Jesus. It illustrates the spirit of that age, doesn't it? It was satanic. Children slaughtered without mercy, without advocacy. Nobody stood up for them. But that doesn't compare to the spirit of this age. Because it's the same spirit. The travesty of what's going on in our own society is the same thing that was in Herod's heart. 
same devil who comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. The same devil. You think he's changed? Spirit has not changed. The spirit, the spirit of Satan. It's interesting. Nobody believed in abortion back in that day. Except Satan. <laughs> He's always believed in it. He's just given the freedom right now. John, we, you know, we try to fight this sometimes with politics and speeches and carrying cards, and I'm not against that. But the real power against abortion is this. John 10, 10 and 11. Jesus said, The thief, Satan, does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. When all this happens, Matthew quotes this. Here he quotes a verse that's out of the, kind of obscure out of the Old Testament. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. What does he mean by that? Rachel was, was Joseph, or Jacob's wife. Well, it comes out of Jeremiah 31, 15. You have to understand, Rachel was buried at Bethlehem. And so, when the burden of God for these little people, children that were being destroyed came out, it was described as if Rachel were crying out from the grave and would not be comforted. I remember my wife and I lost two children right in a row, full-term stillborn. We were excited about having a baby and we came up with two dead ones. And that's was back when abortion was really being pushed forward. And I was so angry because I wanted those babies. And there's people who couldn't contain their sexual impulses, came up with an idea that, well, if I want to, I'll just kill anything that comes out as a result of it. Do you realize how awful that is? Now, I don't care whether you go stand in front of an abortion clinic or create havoc or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. But listen, the only solution is what Jesus said. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. We grieve for the condition of our country, but not just politically, but for the murder of all these innocents that are being done today in the name of constitutional relevance. I don't get it. We need to speak out louder. But what we need to speak out is this. The fact that people kill babies shouldn't surprise you. The fact that people kill anybody shouldn't surprise you. The fact that people steal and lie and, and do all the things they do, that should not surprise you. We do not want to try to get unbelievers to live like us. They can't. We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That gospel, when God is working with us, and He always promised to do that, right? Pierces the heart, and they see their sin when the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. And they can't do anything but fall on their faces. Standing up and telling them, boo-boo, hiss, boo-boo, you're an abortionist, isn't going to get it. Only if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. <coughs> I talked to uh, Dean Wallace this week, and he was lamenting about the fact that because of his age and because of his health, he's not going to be able to continue to be the pastor of Wyatt Baptist down there at the same time he's doing Shining Light. And he said, you know, I, I just can't devote the amount of time to being the pastor there as I need. I said, like what? He said, well, you know, like visiting and preaching and getting out and knocking on doors. I said, that's not your job. He goes, huh? I said, read Ephesians 4. God has given in the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. (coughs) I said, it's their job, and if they're not doing it, they're not a church. He said, wow, John. You're being harsh. I said, no, I'm being forthright. Thank you, Becky, for that definition. <coughs> I asked her the other day in the office, if was I being too harsh? She goes, no, you're being forthright. <laughs> but do you see, that's the problem with the church today. The pastor is supposed to equip. He's supposed to help. He's supposed to feed. He's supposed to give you the tools so that you, the church, can do the work. Now, I'll do it with you. But come on, I'm not supposed to be doing it by myself. And that's what I told Dean. I said, you're not supposed to be doing that. Especially you. (coughs) Excuse me. Do you understand what the church is supposed to be? That's another message. Our God reigns. Now, many... Don't understand after it says that they took Jesus to Nazareth after Archelaus was ruling and he was afraid and warned in a dream not to go back to Judea where Archelaus was. So it goes up to Galilee to Nazareth. And a lot of people don't understand this. Some people think, well, that has to do with a Nazarite. Well, a Nazarite was a person who had been called away for for a certain kind of sanctification. They weren't allowed to drink wine. They were not allowed to touch a dead body. And... They were not allowed to cut their hair. Samson, for an example. But he wasn't the only one. Now, some have tried to say, well, this Nazarene must mean Nazarite. It does not. We know in the Gospels Jesus drank wine. We know he touched dead bodies, except that he raised them from the dead. (laughs) Whee! And we know that he probably cut his hair because later on in the Bible we read that long hair on a man is not necessarily a good thing. And we know in these references in the Old Testament, there's no reference in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be a Nazarite. That's not what this is talking about. So what is a Nazarene? Well, to understand we need to see how Nazareth came to be viewed. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Kings, chapter 9. We're going to read 10 through 13. Solomon had some friends in the surrounding countries 
because he was so admired by everybody. And one of them was Hiram, king of Tyre. And Hiram really helped him build that temple in Jerusalem. Helped him, gave him materials for it, gold, wood from, from Lebanon, all, all kinds of things. And listen what it says in, in verse 10 of chapter, 1 Kings 9. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. That King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Well, that sounds generous, doesn't it? Then Hiram went from Tyre to see these cities which Solomon gave him, and they did not please him. And he said, what kind of cities are these which you've given me, my brother? And so he called them Kabul. (laughs) You know what Kabul means? Worthless. Worthless. He didn't think much of Solomon's gift. Now, that continued on all the way up to even to Jesus' day, and I'll, I'll read it for you. John 1, 43 through 48. Listen. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Listen to Nathanael's response. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was still considered worthless. (coughs) That was the answer. Nathaniel gave. Even Nicodemus said when they were getting talking about in John chapter 7 about getting rid of Jesus, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you from Galilee? Kabul? <laughs> Search and look, for no prophet arises out of Galilee. Oh, really? But there was a prediction that the people of Galilee would see a great light. Wow. Here's the question. What is he to you? Is he worthless? You treat him that way? Or is he precious? Which is he? 1 Peter 2, 6-8, through 8, listen. Therefore it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means put to shame. Wow. Not any shame before God as you're standing there in judgment. Isn't that wonderful? Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to the disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble, being disobedient to the word with which they were appointed. God does not need to provide any more proof about his son. He came to give eternal life. He had all these witnesses, these wise men, all these people, the shepherds, all these people attesting, this is the Son of God. And He actually came to do exactly what it was predicted that He would do, that is to die for our sins and rise again. 
didn't, they missed it. He came to give us eternal life to all those who trust him. I was in, when we were in Sam's the other day picking up that stuff for the uh, food, there was a lady there who had a t-shirt on that says, um, what did it say? Oh, all we have is now, which is the philosophy of the world. And I said to her, well, we also have eternity. She looked at me real funny. She goes, yeah, but that's then, and this is now. I said, let me tell you something. Did you know the Bible says that when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, their eternity starts now? What? So I quoted John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, right now, eternal life and will not come into judgment and has already passed from death to life. So um, she kind of looked confused and didn't want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> it's funny that how people who are so bold in the way they want to present something will start backing up when you present the gospel to them. What about you? Your sin because of Jesus on the cross, paying the whole price, is not an issue between you and God anymore. If you want it to be. He's just, all those who trust him have been justified by faith and have peace with God and eternal life right now. Not tomorrow, not when I die, not when Jesus comes back. Now. You see that word now placed a lot of places in the Bible. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question here simply is this. These Jews knew the scripture. A lot of you know the Bible. Or about the Bible. But they weren't looking for Jesus. They weren't looking for the Messiah that was business as usual every day, day in and day out. And when he came, they didn't recognize him. They didn't open any treasures for him. (laughs) They just called him a Nazarene. A worthless Nazarene. What is he to you? Coming to the Savior that's considered worthless by the world can be scandalous. You can be treated scandalously. But the eternal reward is unspeakable. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this word from your truth of the scriptures. Thank you for giving us your spirit so that we can live every day in the reality of belonging to you. Get up every day. Proclaim ourselves your child as you proclaim us your child. Taking your word, not our feelings, and moving out forward with you. Prepared all the time, ready to give the gospel out to anybody and everybody that we come in contact with. Thank you for this group of people today, most of whom who love you. I don't know everybody's heart. I love you. I'm glad you did that for me, Lord, and I want to share it with others. Help us to work as a church is supposed to work. In Jesus' name, amen.